Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Podcast. Watch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11.05 a.m. at GoSBLive.com or visit us in person. You can find directions at GoStonebridge.com. Connect with us on our social media at Facebook.com slash GoStonebridge and our Instagram at SBChurch. Well, today we're going to talk about hope. And I wanted to start with a story that has... um, it has created a new experience, a new understanding for me of hope. And this happened some several years ago or some years ago, but we had, we had unexpectedly found ourselves kind of questioning where it was we would go next, what would happen. And in a place where we needed a firm foothold, kind of a base camp, my wife and I came together and said, I think we need to move back home and just live with my parents for a season while we figure out what it is that God has in store for me next. So we moved in with my parents, and this was long before Steve and I had started any conversations about coming on staff here, and we were just looking for what it was that that God would bring before us. And on this particular night, my brother and his family came into town, and and it was just a good night. Now, he doesn't live super far off, right? Like, he lives in Houston, so this isn't like he came from across the nation, but it was a treat. And this night was really good. It was just good conversation and, and good food and good people. You know, it's the kind of night where you let your goodbyes linger. The kind of thing where you're sitting on the couch and you turn to your spouse and you say, we should really leave soon. And then you go right back into the conversation you were having. Now, some of you don't do that, but you're looking at your spouse. That's me. That's the way that I leave everywhere. This night, this was my brother's chance to let his goodbyes linger. So he and his wife would sit and we would chat and they would turn like my dude to my wife and go, we should leave soon. And then they wouldn't budge. And then they would stand up and they would say, we should be going. And then they would start talking again. Really good night. Like I love those nights. Now this particular night, we let our goodbyes linger until it was well dark outside. And there was one other factor that came into play. You see our neighbor, Pat lived across the street. And he had hired my son to feed his dog. Now, my son was at the age that what he really did was hire me to feed his dog and agree to pay my son, right? Like this is the stage of life he was at. And so this night, as we made it down the driveway and the goodbyes have quit lingering, they're becoming real. My son has his kids and his wife and they're getting in the car and I turned to my son Grayson and I said, Grayson, come on, let's go ahead and go feed Mr. Pat's dog. And we make our way across the road and up the up Pat's driveway, and about halfway up Pat's driveway, with all of the energy and enthusiasm and strength of like volume, right, that a six-year-old can muster, you just hear these words, wait for me. And my daughter rips her hand out of my wife's hand and begins to sprint the last two steps down the driveway out into the road. Now at the same moment that she, with all of her excitement, yelled, wait for me, every one of the adults in the area screamed in panic. Stop, wait, Reese. Because what every adult was aware of and what my daughter was unaware of were the headlights flying down the road in the darkness. And what was scary in that moment was my daughter is like my wife, very headstrong, very independent. And in that moment, my daughter was not going to listen to anyone's words about stopping and you knew it even before you said it. Like it was one of those things where even as as I yelled her name, I knew it wasn't gonna stop her. So I began to move forward. And even as every adult in the area began to collapse in towards my daughter, hoping to catch her, I knew it was in vain. 
I will tell you that I felt completely hopeless, that panic and fear set in because it was a sure fire collision she was heading towards. And I lost all hope in that second. And then something amazing happened. God in his goodness allowed that car to beat my daughter there by a millisecond. And so instead of running out in front of a car and being thrown, my daughter ran face first into the side of that car, was spun around and then shot backwards on her butt, unharmed. Now, a few things happened. First off, my wife, who is amazing and a skilled nurse, jumped into action and was on my daughter in that moment, scooping her up, checking on her. The couple that were driving in the car slammed on their brakes in pure panic about wondering what it was they had hit and run over. And the rest of us came in and we checked on my daughter and she was okay and I began to breathe easy. But even as I began to breathe easy, that hopelessness and that fear, it lingered in me for a little bit. Man, my heart probably raced for the next 20 minutes. I mean, just pounding in my chest. My hands trembled at least the entire time I was trying to pour dog food into the bowl. But here's the thing I learned in that experience. See, the first thing I learned was there have been times in my life where like my daughter, I yelled, wait for me, and I took off running into darkness unaware of the dangers heading towards me. And that God in his goodness has been there when I was hit by a car, as well as there when I ran face first into it, was spun around and thrown back on my butt unharmed. He has been good and faithful as I have looked back in my life. But the second thing I realized, and something that has, I think, sat with me is much harder, is there have been times in my life where people I love, people I care about, like my daughter, were running into darkness and there was nothing I could do to catch them in that moment. And I knew they were heading towards an accident. And I will tell you that hopelessness in that moment, that, that fear, all of that, and the way that it struck me, it was so overwhelming that I know I can't override that feeling, but I can tell you that as I look back in my life, God has been good. Even when my loved ones are in danger. Now today we're going to come back to that story and we'll pull a few other things out of it as we go. But I want to start moving towards Paul's portrait of hope. But there's one last element we need to do. You see, we need to talk about why we talk about hope. And I think this seems like a no-brainer for most of us. I think you go, well, of course we should talk about hope. It's incredibly important. It's incredibly important. But the truth is, the really important, obvious things, the common things in our life are often the most overlooked things in our life. So bear with me as we look at this. The truth is, hope has an immense power in our life. Listen to this quote from Dostoevsky. To live without hope is to cease to live. Man, that is a powerful word. Like, to live without hope is to cease to live. But we have watched in history nations born from tyranny because they have hope. We have watched people groups treated inhumanely and survive because they have hope. In our own lives, we have seen restored marriages, restored relationships with kids. In our own lives, we have seen broken things that seemed immeasurably beyond repair, repaired 
restored and renewed because of hope. And so we know that hope has a power to make the impossible possible. And so today I want to talk about hope. But there's a flip side to that. We know the destructive damage of hopelessness. Steve quoted Nietzsche a few weeks ago, so I thought I'd follow suit. Here's a quote from Nietzsche. Hope in reality is the worst of all evils because it prolongs the torments of man. I'll just pause on that. That is a man who has lost all hope. Hope in reality is the greatest of all evils. You see, the truth is when we lose hope, not only does it affect me, but it becomes toxic to the people I care about, the people around me. Not only, right, does it affect me, but it will affect the institutions, the very things that I fought for and love. And so we have watched men lose hope and become monsters nationally. We've seen tragedies in our nation. We recognize that not only does hope make the impossible possible, but hopelessness will destroy the very things that once brought us life. So today, we're going to talk about Christian hope. Now, there's one verse I just want to pull out before we even get to 2 Corinthians, which is where we'll spend our time. And this was actually written, it's in 1 Corinthians, but it was actually written after 2 Corinthians. We just had the numbering a little backwards historically, which is fine. But here's what's going on is Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and what's going on is they are... They're fighting over whose gifts should be more celebrated. And particularly, they're saying the gift of tongues is so flashy, surely it's the best gift. And so Paul writes this masterpiece response. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you will recognize it because it is one of the greatest works of love that we have ever seen in human history. We still read it and study it today. It's at most weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Right? It holds no record of wrongdoings. Now, what's amazing about this is as they're boasting over their gifts and Paul lays out this definition of love, he's going to end it this way. This is verse 13. But of, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, I know you said, John, we're talking about hope, but now you're highlighting love. Well, there was a thinker in the early church who chewed on that passage for a really long time. His name was Augustine. We owe so much to him with the way that we read the Bible today. And Augustine just chewed on it and chewed on it. And finally he said, look, I know these are three separate words, but the more I chew on them, the more they seem to be the same thing. You see, what is love if love is not the character of God on display? Think about that. Everything good that we call love is a characteristic of God. So what is love but God on display in our lives through us and to us? And he said, and what is faith if not God's love displayed in our past? Isn't that an amazing thought? When you think back about faith, what we're thinking about is the way God has loved us in the past. And then he says this, and if, if God's love is the defining, the greatest attribute, and that's the, his presence in our life, and we build our faith by looking back, then hope must be the presence of God in our life we have to look forward to. That almost makes it a certainty, doesn't it? That's incredible. That is what I want to unpack with us today. This idea that our faith, our hope, our love, they're going to run together. And we're going to talk about how to strengthen that. But to do that, we're going to walk through 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So let's jump in. This is verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, 
to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are some pastors I have listened to, and they would give you a sermon over the Paulinian opening. We don't need to do that today. He's saying, hi, grace to you, I love you. We're gonna keep that simple. But there is one little thing I wanna point out. He says, not only to Corinth, but to all the saints in Achaia. See, the reason this is a big deal is because we can talk about historical context, but in this moment, he's saying, there's something deeper here than your context that every saint needs to hear. So this is important because this means I need to hear this. I need to hear whatever this eternal message is, this central message of his letter. And so what we're going to attempt to do today is just to highlight that central message and not dig too much into the historical context of Corinthians. So with that said, let's go to chapter or verse 3, and we're going to see the very first point we have. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You know, it's funny, we, we use the word comfort in two different ways in English, right? There is to comfort, to lessen one's struggle or sorrow or pain, right? This is the hug from a loving mom. This is, right, like a good friend being there in a hard time. But then there's to be comfortable. And I think the funny thing is, is I think even though we would say without a shadow of a doubt that he means to comfort here, not to be comfortable, I think we mistake those often. You see, I can't tell you how many times I'm in conversations with people and they're trying to discern where it is, just like my family and I were that night, right? Where it is God will take us. And so what we do is we use Christianese, we use this Christian language to say, God will provide an open door. Now, God does provide open doors, but I want to pause on this because here's the truth. Not every open door is of the Lord. You see, the problem with the open door mindset is that if I think about all the open doors being from God, then what it really means is the path of least resistance is the path I'm supposed to take. Let's just pause on that. Let me give you one easy biblical example to show you that this is kind of absurd in the face of Scripture. Joseph. Joseph was thrown in a pit. We get nothing about his comfort in the pit. He's sold into slavery. We don't see anything with his comfort in, the slave, in slavery. He ends up working for Potiphar. We get nothing with him being comfortable working for Potiphar. And then from there, he's thrown into prison, once again, not being comfortable. In fact, if I was looking for open doors, I would go, oh, Joseph, you missed it. You are not where you're supposed to be. But the whole time, he was exactly where God wanted him. You see, what we do get is this, that Joseph was obedient in the pit. He was obedient when he was sold into slavery. He was obedient in Potiphar's house, and he was obedient in the prison. So while we may look for comfort, what we get in Joseph is an obedience to God's ways. And if I want to walk in true biblical comfort, it starts with obedience, not ease of life. And I think the power of that is that most of the time we know what it is the Lord would have us do. We may not just be willing to do it. And I want to encourage you today, look at Joseph, because where Joseph goes to prison, where does he end? He ends in the palace. And while it does not highlight the comfort of the palace, the Bible does highlight Joseph's continual obedience and devotion to the Lord, even when life got better. And so my challenge to you today is simple. If you know what to do, don't look for easy ways, look for the right way. But there's also a problem, a challenge with this. You see, the truth is I'm going to fall short. If, if my hope is tied to, well, to my ability to obey the Lord, I know for a fact I'm not going to make it very far. 
right? Like I know my heart better than anybody else knows my heart. You know your heart. You know where your shortcomings are. We know we're imperfect. And so the problem is that I immediately go, well, how far into his hope, into his comfort do I get? And this is so important. Paul preceded this by saying that God is a God of all mercies. So it's not my ability to obey, right? It's my willingness to obey. And if you struggle with that, if you struggle with that notion, let me prove it to you. Because here's the, the, the first line. Christian hope is built on God's mercies. And let me just illustrate this for you. Sodom and Gomorrah is seen as one of the big moments of God's wrath in the Old Testament. Like it is the kind of keystone, um, you know, pun, proverbial punching bag for God being evil for people. But think about this story. God goes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know Abraham's response? Lord, don't do it. If I can find 50 good men, righteous men, will you spare it? And God goes, yeah, if you can find 50, I'll spare it. And you know the story, what happens? Abraham goes out, does he find 50? No. So Abraham comes back and goes, hey, if we just shorten that number just a little bit, are we good? And God goes, yeah, yeah. look, you know, that's fine. I'll save it. And then Abraham can't find the righteous men. And so he comes back and goes, what if we just cut that number a little bit less and a little bit less until finally, right? Abraham comes and goes, God, I find one. Just one dude who loves you. Will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? What's God's response to that? Yeah. Yeah, I will, I will restore that city. I will spare it. And Abraham couldn't find one. You see, God's justice didn't pour out on Sodom and Gomorrah until they were so destitute that they could not have hope. And I will tell you this right now, that story is a story of God's grace and his patience and his love. And we highlight that with the cross because in the cross, we are never left without hope, no matter how bad things get. And so we are told from the get-go, right, that our God is a God who comforts when we are walking in his ways. And our God is a God of mercy, right, who meets us when things are wrong, when we need Grace, And so these are the cornerstones that Paul will begin to paint hope on. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who, um, who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God? I know that's a little wordy. It sounds a little weird. Here's what he's saying. He goes, you are comforted. And then look, so that... Why are you comforted? So that you may comfort others. See, I think this is one of the, the bigger things, the bigger questions I think we have is a lot of times, again, we go, why is this happening to me? I must be living in disobedience. I must be living some way wrong. And the truth is, is Paul writes right in and he goes, hey, that hardship, it's not for you. That hardship is so those people you care about, you can speak with them. That hardship is so that when you have a friend, a loved one, a family member who is hopeless, you can be the hope of Christ to them. You see, our struggles when we step in them is an opportunity for God to work all things to his good. This is why, and I love this passage, but it's often ripped out of context. This is Jeremiah 29, 11. It won't show up on the screen, but here it is, right? This is, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Now, we put that on coffee mugs, completely void of context, but I love the context. Did you know some scholars believe that this was actually written when the armies of Babylon were visibly marching into Jerusalem? Man, think about the power of that. Sure, destruction sits at your doorstep, and then God's like, don't worry. My plans for you are good. 
Now that, that's a strong hope. But this also adds a different element to me or for me. So listen to this. This is from Romans 5. But not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. Well, Paul's right there before we get to does not disappoint. When I read this as a kid, I was like, yes, I'm never going to celebrate my tribulations, but yes. Right? Because here's what I thought. I thought, when I come out of something hard, I have more endurance. And when I have more endurance, my character is stronger. And when my character is stronger, I'm filled with more hope. And that is 100% true. But if I put this in context with Paul, right? He says it's not just for your perseverance, for your character, for your hope. It's for the hope, the character, the perseverance of your loved ones, of the church around you. You see, the truth of the matter is, in this moment... Your hope is for people who are with you. Your hope is for people to share. Christian hope is meant to be shared. And I will tell you this, that you do a disservice to the body of Christ when we do not share the hope we have with the body of Christ. Now we're going to go on and talk about how detrimental that can be, but for now I just want you to sit and think about this idea that you are important to the church, that you have been uniquely built within the church, not to be consumers, but to be contributors to the health and the love and the hope of the people around you. Because you, like me, are co-workers in the gospel with a divine purpose. And we need you to be part of that. Let's keep going. Verse 5, for just as the suffering of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. You see, one of the more amazing things to me about Paul is he's talking about earthly hope. He's talking about earthly struggles and how God delivers. And then he just on a dime flips it to make it heavenly. Isn't that significant? And all of a sudden in a moment, he's like, hey, remember, Christ died for you. Now let's rephrase that for Paul. In Christ's suffering, you were present. Meaning that Christ took your suffering, he took you, and he died in our place upon the cross. So he all of a sudden ups the stakes from temporal. He ups the stakes from earthly and makes them heavenly. And then he goes, because, because you shared in his suffering, you now share in his comfort. Because Christian hope is for something beyond this world. Let me hammer this home a little bit more. This next verse comes from, Rome, or from 1 Corinthians. It was written again after this, but listen to what he says, chapter 15, verse 19. Here it is. If only for the life we have, hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let me rephrase that. If our hope for Christ is only of this earth, we're to be pitied above all men. Why? Because we believe we have a hope that is eternal, right? We believe we have a hope that is beyond. Like when my daughter was running towards that car, my hope for her wasn't just that she wouldn't be hit. What was being challenged in my, that moment was my hope for the rest of her life. It was that she would grow in his ways, that she would enjoy creation. It was that she would walk with me in the church. It was that I'd be able to walk her down the aisle one day. And in a heartbeat, all of that I felt like was ripped away. And so the truth is, is our hope is meant to be so much richer than a single struggle in a single day. Our hope is meant to be eternal. And that eternal hope, right, it, it comes to us at the cross. And so I love this because we have a hope that surpasses our circumstances. We have a hope that surpasses 
our trials and our tribulations. We have a hope that survives no matter what comes our way here and now. Let's keep going. Verse 6, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering, which we also suffer. Um, the, the best, we're going to pause there before we go to verse 7, because the, the best way to kind of unpack this is, um, okay, so there's two ideas. One is a Christian idiom, you'll, or not Christian, an English idiom, you'll recognize it, right? Misery loves company. Now, like, there's a charitable way we could understand this, right? Like, misery likes friendship, but that's not what we what we really mean is, I'm miserable, so you get to be miserable. That's a really poor way to look at life, but it's true, right? Like when I'm miserable, there are times when I want the people around me to be miserable. Now, it comes out of a place of unhealth when we get there, but we recognize this truth. The other thing that's fascinating is in German, they have this word, Schachtenfreud. Now, Schachtenfreud means joy derived from the pain of another. Now, that sounds really dark. And it can be, but we also have this whole genre here in America, right? Like, uh, what is it, America's Funniest Home Videos? Where somebody eats it and we laugh. Now, you would never do that in public. I, I, I did once. I felt horrible, but it was a gut reaction. So, Lord, our God is a God of mercies. We're good. Um, but the reality is, is we, we recognize these truths. But listen to Paul when he says that. And if we are comforted, it is because of your comfort. You see, here's what's amazing is when we talk about, I mean, when we talk about this idea of being comforted, um, C.S. Lewis and, uh, and J.R. Tolkien, they, they both served in World War II, in, in trench, I'm sorry, World War I, in trench warfare. And here's what they would tell you is when they were down, it was their soldier beside them that would lift them up. When they were struggling, it was the man beside them that would come and bring them hope. You see, you didn't want harm on your friend beside you. You recognized he was a fellow soldier. And what Paul recognizes in this moment is that he's a fellow soldier. Now, the funny thing, too, is that he also said we have heavenly hopes, right? And the beauty of that is when you read their diaries from World War I, they don't talk about, well, you know, today we were in a gunfight. Da, da, da. No, they actually talk almost endlessly about what they want to go back to in England. Isn't that a fascinating thing? They're not fighting to be at war. They're fighting to go home. And for you and I, our hope isn't just for here and now, right? Our hope is for home. But if we turn our lives and we begin to celebrate misery around us, we will with, remove ourselves from one of the most powerful tools of hope we have. And it's one that we're going to unpack here in just a moment, but I just wanted to pause on this because I want us to work at this idea together. Can we be a people who find comfort and God's comfort for other people? Can we celebrate when other people find joy even when our life doesn't have the comfort we want? Christian hope is others-focused. There's one last way that I would lay this out, one last way that I would show this, and that is talking about the, the Lacedaemonians. The Lacedaemonians are more commonly called the Spartans, right? Like, did you see the movie 300? It's a church, don't raise your hand. Um, right? But if, if you saw the movie 300, um, there's this famous line in there. Um, so the, the line, right, is there will be so many arrows, it will blot out the sun. And then the guy responds, great, we'll fight in the shade. Do you know that's a real historical line? Like, some dude was so cool that when they're like, we're going to kill you, he was like, sweet. Like, that guy was awesome. 
There's a reason we compare them to Navy SEALs today. Now, when it comes to their training tactics, they had a spear in their right hand and a shield on their left. Now, we would look at this in every other army in the world. What did your shield do? It defended you. But the Lacedaemonians would stand sideways and cover the man in front of them so that their shield was for someone else. See, the beauty of this is that your hope is designed for someone else too. And we do a disservice when we shield ourselves. And the truth is for the Lacedaemonians, if, if something broke and they had to choose between their shield and they had to choose between their spear, they would give up their spear in a heartbeat because it was more important to be the offense, the defense for their people than it was to be an offense. And for us as Christians, I will tell you this, it is essential that if we're going to be the body of Christ, that our hope is a shield for those next to us who are going through a hard time. Will you begin to take our suffering? Will we begin to take our hardship and recognize that it was meant for someone else? Let's keep going. Verse 7, and then we'll jump into 8. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are partners in our suffering, so also are you in our comfort. And then here we go. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our, afflict of our affliction, which occurred in Asia, that we are burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even for our life. I just want to pause on this. Here's what I will tell you in, in, in going on close to two decades, not quite, of doing stuff in the church, over a decade of counseling in the church. The most powerful thing I see that gives people hope is transparency. The biggest hope killer, I will tell you, is keeping things in the dark. And look at Paul. I don't want you to be unaware of my affliction. I know it's a risk. I know it feels dangerous. But he says, look, if we're going to be the hands and feet, you have to know what's really going on. And so Paul puts himself out there and he shows what's happening in the hope that restoration can take place, in the hope that deliverance can take place. And this is one of my big ones for us. Christian hope is meant to be communal. It has to be. And I will even pause and I will say this. If you're here and all you've done is come on a Sunday morning and come to service, I'm really glad you're here. Stonebridge just is glad you're here. But you are missing out on the benefits of the church. And this whole thing, right, is about the social benefits. You're missing out on the power of communal hope. And I will encourage you. I'm just going to stop right now and say this. I will encourage you. There is a wall back there. It has Sunday school classes. It has small groups. We have a website that has a list of ways for you to get involved, not so that you can bolster numbers, but that you can have true friends in times of need. Because your hope is meant to be communal. And you need that. Let's keep going. We got one last big point, and then we'll apply a few things. This is verse 9. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. I just want to pause on that for a second because I love this. His response, right, is like, hey, we were going to die. It's a good thing God resurrects people. Like, that's just a little tongue-in-cheek, like just a fun little quip. That is so interesting to me that in this moment where he's afflicted, where he's worried, he was so confident that he was like, God's got this. And I think what's amazing about that, one of the things that gives us hope in this, is that so often in a moment of panic, 
we forget how powerful our God is. You see, it's not my internal hope that changes things alone, right? It's a hope that is external on others. It's a hope that is focused on Christ, a hope that is focused on God. We'll put it this way in your outline. Christian hope begins at the cross of Christ. How significant is it that the hope we have is with a God who sustains creation with a word? How significant is it that the hope we have is in a God who is so almighty, so powerful, so amazing that there is nothing he cannot unwrite, not even death? You see, the truth of the matter is so often when I feel caught in a moment, so often when I feel the pangs of anxiety hit or hopelessness hit, what I really need sometimes is for a neighbor to go, hey, tell me about your God. Because the moment I begin to reflect on who God is, is the moment things begin to change and I begin to remember where my hope lies. With that said, let's jump into the next verse. Verse 10, who rescued us from so great a danger of death and will rescue us? He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. Um, We'll we'll pause there just for a moment because we'll start to work through this. Right, he says this idea, right, like God has yet to, to deliver us, but he has already delivered us. Now, the, the beauty of this moment, it's our first big point up here at the end, is that we're going to talk about how to grow your faith. We're going to look at how Paul did that. So here's the first thing. Faith. He looked back for God at work in his life. Will you look back at God at work in your life? Look at the way he did that. God has already delivered us. Remember, this is Paul who was shipwrecked. This is Paul who was bitten by poisonous snakes. This was Paul who was beaten to near death so many times I lost count. This was Paul who was thrown in prison repeatedly. And this was Paul who went through all that and said, if I'm afflicted, it's not for physical damage. If I'm afflicted, it's because I have concern for you. And then he says this, that when I get worried, all I do is remember God has already delivered me countless times. The easiest way I guess we can understand this, right, is... If, if I came to you and I said, hey, let's go grab coffee. And we made a coffee date and I didn't show up. And I said, hey, I'm sorry. Can we try to get coffee again? And then I didn't show up. And we repeated this. At some point, you would just assume I wouldn't show up. I would have a track record. But, right, you, some of you are in a relationship, some of you are married. If you made a coffee date and the people that needed to be there showed up, you say, hey, every Friday, let's go grab breakfast at Chick-fil-A. At some point, you would quit wondering if they were running late, and you would assume they would always be there. Has not God's track record in your life created a near certainty of his deliverance? Man, that's a beautiful thought from Paul. When I struggle, I just look back. Let's keep going because there's more to this. Verse 11. If you also join in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons in our behalf for the favor granted us through prayer for many. Um, There are two elements I just want to pull out here quickly as, as we start to close out. And here's the first one. Let's talk about not just faith, but let's talk about love. What does Paul do? He turns to the church. And I want to tell you this. If love is the presence of God's character in your life, then you need to spend time in community with God's presence here on earth, the church. 
You see, what I don't mean is you're like, I'm going to be present internally. It's just me and my Jesus. I mean, go spend time with the people who embody the character of Christ in your life. I'll tell you this. This weekend I had one of the hardest weekends I have had in probably a half a decade. I feel emotionally exhausted right now. I feel near empty. I think I cried more than I care to admit in front of a room full of people on Friday and Saturday. And I did so because I was worried about a friend. But something happened Friday night after things hit the fan and I began to be concerned and I really began to worry deeply is I picked up my phone and I called two of my closest Christian friends. And I said, hey, I just, I need you to pray for me. I can't go into detail, but I need you to pray for me and I need you to pray for my friend. And then the next day, I spent the day with my wife and my son and my parents, right, and my daughter. And I spent some of that day with some of those friends. And what began to happen in that moment was I began to be healed. But just like with my daughter, it takes a little while because fear lingers. Anxiety lingers. But hope can be rebuilt. Old saying Rome wasn't built in a day, right? It takes time, but you have to remember who God was and you have to plug in with his body here. And then here's my last point for you. Pray forward, build some hope. Pray for the things you know can be ahead of you because God's track record says he's here. God's people around you here now say he's here and we can know that God will be with us. So pray forward boldly. Because here's the bottom line is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That our God is a God of mercies and a God of comfort. And he said, you are my representative, my ambassador on earth. And lo, I am with you always to the end of age. And the beauty of that is that we have a God who met us in our sin, redeemed us, walks with us now, will walk with us in the future, and who can overcome anything life throws at us. That is a God that has proven I can hope in him. It is a God that, for me, has proven you can hope in him. And today I just want to encourage you, our God is a God you can hope in. Pray with me, please. Father, right now I come before you thankful for the, man, the hope you give us. Thankful for the life that we have here, Father, for the body of saints around us. Thankful for the fact that we are co-workers in your kingdom and that you work with us and through us, that you meet us in dark times and dark places and you meet us even as we run out into the street and headlights come and that you meet us in good times and in bad, but that you will meet us with your hope. So today I pray for our body here. I pray for every saint in the seats and every saint online that you would make your hope known to us that we may be those who lead others to that same hope. In Jesus' name, amen.